Blog Talk Radio. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Welcome to the Hail of the Saints. Good evening, folks, and welcome back to the Tale of the Tape. I'm your host, Kenny Keith, alongside Vince Cummings. Ken, how you doing, man? Good to be with you again. We are back in full effect at our home studio in Maryland. Last weekend, we visited New York City and brought you the Tale of the Tape live from Madison Square Garden as Miguel Cotto took on Sergio Martinez for the middleweight championship of the world. And there's only one word to describe what happened this past Saturday night. Shocker. Yes, absolutely shocking. Uh, I don't think there's anybody that saw what happened that night. I mean, three knockdowns in the first round and just complete domination. Sergio Martinez looked like a shell of his former self. Uh, I, I was blown away. Yeah, absolutely. That was, I don't know what it was. It, there was just this weird vibe the entire evening. And, you know, reports came out afterwards that uh, that Sergio was not, wasn't confident and he was delayed coming to the ring. Once he got to the ring, he was looking around lost. And it took him forever to get inside the ropes. And there was just something about him. He was cold and he was distant, and and it was foreign to him. Like he hadn't been in the ring in not not a not a year, but like a lifetime. Yeah, it, he looked uh, out of place, and that's very unlike him. He just kind of had a a blank stare on his face in the ring. It was really just an uncharacteristic night for Sergio. It almost looked like he was resigned to the fact that once he got in the ring, that he knew it was coming. He saw it coming. Yeah, well, Cotto surely did not waste any time at all. No, he didn't. Coming directly at the former champion and catching him that with the left hook that, you know, M- Martinez was being stalked from the from the get-go and the game plan had been revealed after the fact that Cotto had been working with what's his name, the little uh a little Filipino Marvin, trainer. Marvin Amodio. Yeah, Marvin. Um, and they were working on his stalking and his positioning. And they were actually uh, maneuvering in a direction to where it would, it would force Sergio to move in one direction, which would open up his vulnerability to the left hook by Cotto. And that was from the get that was apparent. Yeah, they saw it. I think uh, Sergio's corner might have been exposed a little bit with their you know, lack of preparation for this fight and not being able to pick up some of the things that Cotto did, which are they're very basic things. He knew Sergio circled to his right. That was his move. He always circles to the right. Well, Cotto led him to circle to the right and unloaded those left hooks, and he basically walked right into them. And they did damage early and off. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was also reported, like, there were no excuses out of Sergio's, Sergio's camp for the result of the fight. It was the, it was the first, it was the first connection. It caught Sergio and he fell. And he was cold afterwards and never recovered. Yeah, and his knees looked like, even, even when he wasn't under the attack, his knees looked like they were just wobbly. They couldn't support his weight. It just didn't look like the Sergio Martinez that we've, that we've come to know in the ring for the past you know, three years leading up to before his injuries. So you're not buying the no problem with the knee thing? Uh, no, there, there's definitely issues. I mean, come on. He's 39 years old. You can't have multiple knee surgeries at that age and expect to come back and be as good as you were possible at that age. Okay, so was was Cotto as dominant as some people say he was, or was Sergio basically on his last hurrah? I mean, I mean, which was it? Was it a balance? Which was I, it? I think it was more of a balance of the two. I think Cotto now with you know Roach in his camp is getting the proper training leading into a fight. He's not in control of his camps anymore like he was before. So that's helping him vastly. You can tell he's he's improved in the ring. His boxing has become sharper. Uh, he's unloading that left hook like he used to when he was younger. So you can tell it's paid off for him. I also, you know, you can't – Sergio, he's done so much in the sport in the past three years, and it's so hard to, to watch a fighter that good, you know, struggle that badly and, and to think that, you know, how does – that quickly does everything fall off the table. How how do you go from as great as he was to just, I mean, he looked like he didn't belong in a amateur fight in that ring yeah. last Saturday. Yeah, he, uh, I agree. I mean, I was just so blown away by the way that he came out. But, you know, as well as I do, Sergio has never been one to spar a lot anyways. And right. apparently he did no sparring leading up to this. So getting touched, he was very, very surprised by Kodo's power because, you know, going off of film and going off of feedback from other fighters and, and, and post fights that have gone against Kodo is that, you know, and they could be bravado speaking, oh, he doesn't hit that hard, you know? Right. But in you know, reality, the fact is a guy that is coming on, that's had to focus so much on, on recovering from knee surgeries that hasn't, hasn't been hit in a while and doesn't spar anyways. I mean, those things probably felt like cinder blocks coming at him. And, on top of the fact that Sergio's camp, I mean, you can do all the research you want to. You can listen to the shows, the guys that are closest inside of Sergio's camp. It's never been revealed exactly what he had done on his knees. No. If he had it cleaned up, if he had a total reconstruction, right. it's never been revealed. And the fact that it hasn't been revealed and the fact that before the fight with the New York State Boxing Commission, there was an issue over the knee braces and whether or not he was going to wear them. Has to tell those are just yeah. blinking red lights. Yeah, I'm surprised that you know more more boxing people didn't notice that coming into the fight that it wasn't that apparent. I mean, after, of course, after the fact, everybody you know, oh, of course, why didn't we see that? But uh, yeah, it's uh, it was completely shocking, and I think a lot of it has has to do with you know Martinez developed a little bit of arrogance over his run you know, through the middleweight, was able to knock guys out and just completely dominate. And I think that led him to believe that this smaller man cannot step up to my division, even if I am 75% of what I used to be. Right. He can't, he cannot handle my size. He cannot handle my power. He cannot handle my speed. But that just was not the case. None of that was there for certain. No, 
No, and you know what? We'll we'll never be able to see if it was or not because getting caught like that, that's when we saw something that we've never seen from Sergio and something that from our from our vantage point on the lower level at Madison Square Garden, watching the fight live, the first thing that you noticed after after that first knockdown, now, now granted he got knocked down three times in the first round, but one thing that you pointed out to me that was just completely confusing the hell out of both of us was we got the answer afterwards was why is he fighting with his hands up? His, he's never fought with his hands up. It, it, you, and, and what did you say? You don't just go and learn overnight a brand new style of fighting, right. a brand new launching point. But now we know he put his hands up because he didn't want to get hit again. Yeah, that was definitely the case. I, you know, I was completely blown away because he's been, you know, he's made a name for his, his brash style of just putting his hands down by almost by his knees and leaning his chin forward and, and, and inviting you to hit him. And he wasn't doing that at all. And that's, you can't, like I said, you cannot just decide to change your style at that point in your career. You got to go with what works for you. Yeah. No, there's no doubt about that. And that's what Freddie Roach and, and, you know, implored with, with Kodo is what got you here? What made you, what made you famous? What made you work? Right. You know, what, what, what is the one thing that you were defined by during your stretch run before things started to get a bit distracted by your changing of trainers? Right. You know, it was, it was the left hook. And it's something that, that Kodo has not used in an offensive manner in past fights. And as we all know, Freddie Roach has always been a pressure trainer. He's always trained to attack oh, yeah. the signature of all of his fighters, minus the Chavez Jr., who looked like a deer in the headlights against Sergio. Right. And and you know, what was that? Two fights ago for Sergio. Yeah. And, and you know that that offensive style bodes well for a 33 year old Cotto, who's now coming into his old man strength oh, years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. And you can see it. And I mean, he he looked to pack uh, a little more on that left hook than he normally does. Absolutely. And and I I have to agree with Freddie Roach. 154 is certainly Kodo's ideal weight, and, yeah, yeah. you know, and fighting. So the question goes into this. Will Kodo seek out a 160 fighter? Or will he look to fight at a catch weight or will he fight at 154? Because now he has these belts. Well, guess what? They're not going to, they're not going to be his belts for much longer. If, he may only have them for a year or two yeah. if, if, if he doesn't fight somebody at 160. Yeah, I wonder if the plan is for him to even fight anybody at 160 rather than it was to just win the belt to say, hey, a fourth division belt. Yeah. And he's now, you know, if they're trying to tout him as the king of Puerto Rican, the history of Puerto Rican boxing. That's, I think, you know, up for debate with most people. I, well, he's still people, so young. Yeah. yeah. He's, got, he's got a couple more years left. His, his story is not, is not written completely. So Now, barring a... A major punishment from from some unseen matchup, you know, from a, a you know a Golovkin or a Canelo, the guys that could actually physically hurt Cotto uh, if it came down to it. But that that leads to the speculation of what he's going to do next. Now it's been it's been said that Cotto is going to uh, lock up a early to mid December date at the Garden for his next fight. There's been a lot of names that have been thrown around out there. Everybody from from Floyd Manny, who he's he's already fought both of them, uh, to Canelo, which would be 
which you could sell that fight anywhere. Oh, yeah. You could sell it. It sells worldwide. Worldwide. Anywhere you have the fight. You could have that fight in Omaha, Nebraska. Like, uh, I guess the Gamboa fight coming up is in <laughs> Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. You know, you could sell that fight anywhere. Right. So, obviously, they don't need the garden for that. No. No, you know? they do not. So, is Cotto going to be strategic like he has been throughout his career and who he's going to fight? Or is he just going to go balls to the wall now and say, you know what? I'm 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 rebirthing myself, and I'm not just going to stop by getting my you know getting belts back. Right. I think he can get away with a strategic fight next because he took. It looks like he took the chance in facing Martinez, so he'll be able to get away with it. But eventually, he, he's going to have to face, like you said, a Canelo, a Golovkin if he wants to defend at 160. Who Golovkin wants to unify the belts in that division before he moves up. He's he wants to go to 168. So. Yeah, there, there's a lot of options. I mean, I know he said he won't go down to 147, but I do believe he could he could make a catch weight at 150. He doesn't have to stay at 154. He could get down a little bit, but like you said, 154 is definitely where he belongs. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. And obviously, the biggest target at 154 is Floyd, but Floyd seems to do whatever he wants to do and thinks that because he's undefeated and considered the best boxer in the world that, you know, he doesn't have to do anything. He can just continue to fight the number 10 contender. Yeah, the sport will cater to Floyd. Yeah, but you know what? It's sad as it is to say that, and it needs to stop. I don't, I don't, it's going to take him losing to stop. But. Yeah, well, you know what else might cause it to stop for him to change his attitude is Canelo Cotto live from Madison Square Garden doing $3 million in pay-per-view sales. Right, and making, <laughs> making more money, yeah. I mean, they're going to be selling in Mexico. They're going to be selling in Puerto Rico. And here. Yeah, and here. They'll do a million a million sales in the yes, United States. They will, definitely. That, that will go over a million for sure. I can tell you right now, you and I know a dozen people that watch fights. Right. Some casually and some watch every pay-per-view. Some tune in every Friday and Saturday nights for the big, you know, domestic U.S. fights. Right. You know, but that fight will draw... MMA fans, oh, it'll, it'll bring anybody that knows anything about boxing. Yes, it will. And I think that that's what Floyd needs is a wake-up call. Because if you're going to go around fighting the the Maidanas and, the, you know, like I said before, you, you're you going to fight the number. He's not even fighting the guys in the middle of right. of, of contention. He's he's not going to fight Thurman. Thurman's not going to – even if Thurman came up to 154, he wouldn't fight him. No, he wouldn't. He's not, he's not going to take that chance. And, you know, it's – the fact that you hear the name you know, of Abreu and Maidana getting tossed around for his next fight, it's, it's a joke. It's disappointing, man. And I'm a big Floyd fan. I Sometimes it gets tough to take the, you know, the BS that comes with him and, and what he does in the sport. Yeah, well, I mean, he needs to move back uh, past that crap really, really quick. All right, we're going to come back and finish this conversation on the, on the Cotto Sergio recap. We'll come back and talk about the future of Maravilla and the prospects of him fighting one last hurrah. We will be right back with the tale of the tape.
Welcome back to the Tale of the Tape. Welcome back to the Tale of the Tape, folks. I'm Kenny Keith with Vince Cummings, as always. We're in the middle of a discussion about Miguel Cotto and Sergio Martinez. Cotto, TKO in nine. And now we discuss some possibilities for the Bariqua Cotto. So now it comes down to what happens to Sergio. Sergio's got one fight left on the contract with HBO. Do you think he'll make that fight? And, or do you think he'll retire? Or if he does make the fight, is it against a big name? Or is it just a, a farewell fight? I think it may be a farewell fight. Uh, I don't really think it matters who it is. There's, there's going to be no uh, farewell fight that's going to be easy for him at this point. Um, <laughs> For his sake, he probably should retire, uh, but, you know, there's always that one last paycheck that every man wants, and I think that's a lot of the reason why he took this Cotto fight this last time around was he knew that his his career was, the clock was ticking on him, and he needs to make as much money as possible before his run is over, so I do see him making one more fight. He'll fulfill his contract, uh, whether it's going to be good for him or not. Uh, Probably not after watching what we saw on Saturday, but he will. He's a he's a proud man. I, I think you'll see him hop back in the ring one more time. Yeah, he. It's going to be a, a staged fight. Uh, yeah. it's not going to. You're, you're not going to see any rematches or anything like that. No, you're not going to get a Chavez Junior rematch. Or, well, he, although there is conversation right now. Well, yeah, of course he's licking his chops now. Yeah, well, yeah, but it looks like we're going to see Froch versus Chavez. That looks like that's going to be the next. That'll be a great fight. I yeah. can't wait to see that. But no, as long as you know, as far as Sergio goes, I mean, it's I, it's it's clear that his best days are behind him, and it saddens me to see, you know, one of the great champions of our time, uh, a class act, a guy that went out there and put it all on the canvas, and you know, to see him fall apart the way he did physically, you know, it, it, it truly saddens me. So I would like to see a last hurrah. Is, you know, does that mean that he's even going to be able to, to win that fight? No, I completely agree with you, Vince. I mean, there's no guarantee whatsoever. But, you know, the the strategy of, of Cotto's camp taking this fight against Sergio when they did was perfect timing. It was the same thing when they fought, when, when Cotto fought De La Hoya, it was – at the right time. They wouldn't take the fight at any other time. It was the right time to fight him. Right. And Cotto took the fight. Sergio called out Cotto years ago. Yeah. Called him out years ago, and Cotto would not take the fight because Cotto was in turmoil, and Sergio was on top of the world. Yes. Cotto waited and waited and waited and took the fight at the perfect time to not only cash in financially, yeah. because he's, he, he may sell out the garden, but that does not do the pay-per-view sales that it did if that's Cotto versus whoever. Right. Yeah. You know, so the timing was, 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 was definitely right on that end. Because Sergio had been calling him out for years, but that's neither here nor there at this point. You know? So, anyway, so what do you think about the, uh, the up-and-comer Verdejo, the new, the new Puerto Rican uh, bright star in the sport? I'm, I'm glad we got to see him uh, live and in person, you know, Absolutely. before he completely blows up, because I think that's where he's headed. Now, you, you can't base it on the guy we saw him fight, which, no. was, which was the last fight before the card went live on HBO. <laughs> he completely, I mean, just annihilated this guy. I don't even know. It looked like they dug this guy off the street. 
a week ago and put boxing gloves on and said, here, we're, we're throwing you to the wolves, kid. Did you hear what the what his opponent said at the weigh-in? No, I didn't. He looked at the reporter standing next to him when he was up on up on the scale getting weighed in, and he said to him, "This won't last ninety seconds." <laughs> <laughs> well, he was right. <laughs> and it didn't it didn't last ninety seconds. No, the, the one thing that I noticed from Berdejo is he is lightning quick. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that guy is so fast. And a big frame, too. Yeah. Well, apparently he's filled out over the last year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, apparently that frame was all with tip-to-tip shoulder blades. Like, there wasn't much meat on his bones. Right. And from what I understand, he's filled out over the last year. But I think the key to him is, is well, because he's fighting underneath the, the uh, top-ranked shield, they tend to develop fighters a little bit slower. Do you think that they should push the rush button on this guy and, no, and get him out there? I mean, he's only 21. They they have their, you know, Top Rank's got their blueprint on how they like to bring their fighters up. And I think they'll do the same thing with Rodeo. Uh, it, it's going to be a couple years before you see a really big fight from him. But uh, he's headed that way for sure. There's no doubt about it. Just the kid's talent is undeniable. Apparently he's fighting again in August. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's right. going to be fighting every every. Four months, probably. Yeah, they're going to run him out there to get his his, his, his record to yeah. something respectable to be able to – he's going to have to have – I don't know how many wins he has now. I'll have to look at his numbers. He's, he's uh, 12 or 13 and 0. Okay, yeah, he, he's going to have to be at the 20-win mark before before he lines up across the, yeah. you know, big game. What – I mean, what weight do you see him, uh, like, peaking at? Uh, probably 135. Yeah? You don't think he'll make it maybe, up? To, maybe up to 140. Yeah. He does have the frame that did look like that that he could put weight on. So yeah, but I mean, and he's a young kid who's really not a man. He hasn't come into his man strength yet. He, he may get even bigger. His frame may even get bigger. So well, I mean, he's either going to have to if he wants to be competitive, he's going to have to fight at what 122. Yeah. Or he's going to have to fight at 140. Right. I think anything in between. I. You know, there's it's top heavy. Yeah. At least at 140, there's some depth there. Right. And then you have the flexibility of of the smaller 147s coming down to meet him. Right. They're not going to come down into the 130s to fight him. No, no. no None no. of the big names will. No, but there's there's some big names. That, you know, at 135, Mikey Garcia at 130. So there's fights for him to make at those weight classes. He's probably going to mow through. But they're not TV fights though. No, they're they're tough to sell. Yeah. You tough. know what I mean? Like he like once you get below 100. And, 40 pounds to 135 pounds. It's tough to sell that. I tell you what, I, I can't wait if it does happen for that Nonito Denaire but Yucca rematch. Uh, that <laughs> that was that was strange. Wasn't it? Oh my gosh, I've never seen like that was just the like the just the most random occurrence of events that happened. You have a fat Donaire in the ring. It looked like he did not train at all. That was like, all right, man. I'm not running with you. I'm going to stand right here, right. and I'm just going to throw bombs. Yep. And, and you're and Bet Yeka tried to headbutt him to death. Right. With his little with his little velociraptor style, like his, <laughs> his little twitchy bomb and right. weaving style, whatever. Yeah, speaking of weird styles, I don't want to run too far off of a tangent, but it does bring me to a fighter that I'm really looking forward to seeing more of in the future. That has a very quirky style himself, and that's Eric Landy Lara. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, if people haven't gotten a chance to see him, this kid is a slick as boxer as, as they come. He is just smooth in that ring, and that's from just an unbelievable amateur career. You know, plenty of amateur fights. He was groomed for years. So yeah. He, 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 was, he came into the sport ready at fight one for a big fight. 
that's why you see him at he's only got 19 fights and he's fighting for a championship so yeah yeah well I mean when you have you know when you have the pedigree and reputation coming through the ranks like he did uh, it's going to be interesting an interesting fight with Canelo and that's something that will go further into detail with um, you know later down the road but um, yeah I'm really glad we got to see Verdejo I mean I don't know if it was just seeing him in person that really gave way because I haven't watched the replay of the fights yet. I haven't been able to find his fight to to replay the Verdejo fight right. to see if on film he is as quick as he was watching him live. Yeah. Because, you know, it's hard to say matching him up against the guy he fought because the guy who he fought didn't even have a chance to swing back. Right. So how how quick is he? So you get him in a ring with a with a with a fast puncher. You know, somebody that is that equally reputable in quickness. Right. Then what happens? We'll have to wait and see. But this is a guy that, that needs to be on everybody's radar, especially for the casual boxing fans, because they're uh, our stars are getting older. Right. And the superstars, anyways. Yeah. And all of them, really. Yeah, they're they're all in their their mid thirties, if yeah. not if not older. And we just saw one of the stars peter out. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, just go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there goes Sergio. <laughs> So, oh, needless to say, we'll have to wait and see. All right, we're going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to dive into this weekend's main event as Ruslan Provodnikov takes on Chris Algieri for the light welterweight championship of the world. So Ruslan Provodnikov, Siberian Rocky, takes on Chris Algieri, the former kickboxing champion, at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. So the NYC, the Big Apple, gets back-to-back championship fights at two different arenas, two different boroughs. But this one could be a very interesting fight because the people's champ, Siberian Rocky, Ruslan Provodnikov, who American boxing fans have fallen madly in love with, is taking on a guy, an American, a New Yorker, who nobody knows anything about this guy. And that could be the scariest thing in the world for a guy like Provodnikov. Because fact of the matter is, Algeri, in his own right, is a champion. Uh, He's been in the ring, whether it be boxing or kickboxing, for a long time. So you're not, there's nothing that's going to surprise that kid. He's ready to go to war. I mean, he's, he's been doing it for a long time, not just in boxing. He was a, I believe it was a light welterweight kickboxing champion before he turned to boxing, before he retired and turned to boxing. So, yeah, he is a, I mean, for anybody who wants to get a look at him before the fight, he is an unbelievable, he's slick boxer. He, he almost looks too pretty in the ring fighting. He's a, He's a pretty fighter, and that that can fool judges, really. I mean, he's got a great jab. Uh, he's got feet, really good footwork. He has fought absolutely nobody that <laughs> anybody knows. I mean, he he beat Mike Aranudis, who <clears throat> okay, Aranudis is a tough guy. 
He's been around. He's more of a stepping stone fighter. But if you beat him, it's it's noteworthy. He's a tough guy to get out of there. And then, of course, his last fight against uh, contender Emmanuel Taylor, who he was able to dispatch of, too. So he, he really doesn't pack much punch. He's got very little power, but uh, he's a smooth boxer that uh, he looks good in the ring, really good. And that, and that will uh, that'll help him on the side of the judges. So we'll, we'll see what happens. It could it could get real dangerous for Algeri pretty quickly though. He's going to have to do his work early on because Provodnikov is a notorious notorious slow starter, and Algeri is going to have to get his work in early, and he's going to have to volume punch him because Provodnikov in the later rounds begins to ramp it up. You know, I, something that I noticed in in Provodnikov's fight against Ivan Popoka, which Provodnikov ended up knocking him out in the eighth round. Um, uh, Ruslan, Russian, the uh, Siberian Rocky, averaged almost 100 punches per round. Yeah, that's a uh, big output. Yeah, and if Algeri decides to stand and throw, we both think, I, you know, based off conversation we've had before going on air, that Provodnikov, past the sixth round, will start walking through brick walls. Oh, yeah. He yeah, doesn't he care does. what you – because Timothy Bradley is a pretty hard puncher. Yeah. You know, he's not considered a knockout artist, but he throws with every ounce of energy, right. and he was walking right through Bradley's punches. And, and this Algeria's punches are not going to be as hard as Bradley's. Uh, another thing with Algeria, the kid has really never been tested. His chin has never been tested, and it's about to get tested by one of the heaviest punchers at 140 pounds. Um, if, if Algeria does not keep this fight on the end of his jab and – Move like he has never moved before. Uh, he's going to be in for he's going to be in for trouble later on in the fight. And I, I think it's uh, you know everybody knows we've all seen Provodnikov do it before. He will just completely break you down in the championship rounds of the fight. Well, I think I think Algeri is is capable of of throwing with Provodnikov as long as he doesn't get caught and get knocked out. Because Algeri is also a, a pretty high volume puncher now. We don't have, you know, the the microscope hasn't been on Algeri nearly as long. But CompuBox has has followed Algeri's last last six fights, and he's been averaging 92 punches per round. Yeah, and that's a lot. Um, you know, you're putting out that much. You're you're doing work in there. You're going to work, and you know he he puts together some really nice three and four punch combos that they look so good. I, they're so quick. They're sharp, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, he just is really impressive. But it's it's a completely different ball game that he's uh, he's getting himself into on Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. There's he's going against a guy that is that is you know put all boxing skill aside. A guy whose motor is unmatched in, in in boxing, and a guy whose desire to win is rooted in something much deeper than anybody else could possibly fathom. I think if anybody in boxing is you know they always you always hear guys say I'm prepared to die in the ring. I, I really think. Provodnikov might actually be prepared to die in the ring rather than even go down one time because he's never even touched the canvas yeah. once in his career. And it's unlikely it's going to happen in this fight. No. no, no. I mean, you may see, you know, Al- Algeri may be a, ma- uh, a maniac of of volume punching at Provodnikov, but he can he can throw as many as he wants to. There's there's nothing in his arsenal as far as power is concerned that's going to be able to stop the Siberian. There's just there's no way unless he like there's always a chance in every single fight we saw 
we saw it in, in, in an undercard fight with Andy Lee uh, yeah. this past weekend in New York where yeah, he completely dominated. Yeah, absolutely dominated. Absolutely dominated to the point where Jackson had him stumbled and baseline was knocked him through the ropes. He bounced off the ropes, which shot him off to the other side of the ring. And as Jackson is coming over to stalk him down, he's not even standing on his feet flat. No. Lee throws an uppercut <laughs> and knocks out Jackson. Yeah. Out cold. It looked like he was dead. Yeah. So was... fights can change in a, in a heartbeat. And, it, and the only thing that's going to stop providing a call is being knocked out. <laughs> yeah, there's, you, you are not stopping the shit. No. Especially with a there's there's no you know there's no cap on knockdowns in this fight. No. You know what I mean? So without a you know a, a three doc, a three knockdown maximum, there's I, I don't see this thing going twelve rounds personally. No, I don't either. Uh, Algeria's going to be given a lesson in what it, what it what it is in the big time in sport. So are you predicting TKO? Yeah, I would think he's going to get a TKO. Anywhere between eight and eleven. Eight and eight and eleven. Yeah, I think that's a pretty safe bet. But I wouldn't be surprised to see it stop in the first first three or four rounds. We just got to see what kind of you know if that you know Algeria now kickboxing and boxing are two separate things. You know what I mean? And there's com- completely different factors that get thrown in variables. But I don't know much about kickboxing other than that my brother's done some fights in kickboxing, but 11 losses is 11 losses. And now you're going in the ring against arguably the best fighter at 140 pounds. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm the most avoided fighter at 140 pounds, which is why Jerry <laughs> got this fight. He probably got the call. Like they want me to fight who? What? Yeah, sure. I'll take that fight. <laughs> yeah. Cause he's, he's, it's going to make more money than he's made by far in this fight. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's a bit of envy. There has to be a bit of envy. I'm, I'm speculating, but I'm going to say there is on the on the part of Triple G because he's seeing this that this Russian fighter that people are falling madly in love with, who is going to be selling out arenas, and is dude. I I looked at the tickets for this fight coming up, and the tickets are are like priced very comparably to the Cotto Martinez fight. Really? Yeah, the tickets are. Now that doesn't mean that that they're eventually going to go for that. Right. For that amount, the price is probably going to drop. I mean, if it does get sold out, it's going to be from boxing fans. There's a lot of pure boxing fans that live in New York City. That's oh, the one yeah. thing about having a fight in a city that has 12 million people. Yeah. That's, and that's, then you have the people coming out. But Golovkin, the problem with Golovkin is he's so dangerous, nobody wants to fight him. But at the same time, no, he is a dud draw. Yeah, I, I can't. He's fighting that. in freaking Marriott Hotel conference rooms. <laughs> yeah, I can't. You know, HBO has made this deal with him, this multi-fight deal with him, which I, I'm not sure how many fights are left on it right now. So if HBO can offer him that deal again, because it's almost like a, and it's not like Klitschko, in a way, it's like Klitschko, where it is, they can't sell his fights in America for some reason. And I don't know why. If you watch this kid, what it's going to take is one fighter to actually challenge this kid. Yeah. And then everybody will see how absolutely unbelievable of a fighter he is. I mean, he's got the same type of bulldog mentality that Provodnikov has, which is he just stalks and throws absolute bombs. Golovkin seems way more poised than Provodnikov. Mm-hmm. Gol- Golovkin is a very cerebral fighter. Yeah, he, you can tell he's calculated. Did, did you see the fight against Macron? 
Yeah. Where it looked like he was fighting in the Marriott Hotel. Yeah. Right? Dude, the look in Golovkin's eyes, he was so dead focused on, I'm, he's looking at him like, all right, I'm smarter than you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hunt you down this entire ring. I'm going to go my pace. You can panic. You can throw as many punches as you want at me. Nothing is going to phase me. He is, is, is the most freakishly dangerous, scary-looking fighter to watch. Yeah, yeah. Because he's, he's, like, he's like a snake, dude. He just creeps up on you, and it doesn't even look like it because he's not the most shredded guy in the world. I mean, he's obviously he's, he fights with a very constricted his, mu- his muscle fibers. He looks like he's like flexing almost. Yeah, exactly. Man, when he unleashes, that dude has bombs for hands. Oh and, my god! And people get Golovkin. The average boxing fan gets Golovkin and Provodnikov confused. And there's definitely big differences between the two. Oh yes, the, for sure. <laughs> the fighter that we're going to see this weekend. You need to check him out on HBO On Demand. Check out two days and, um, and watch and learn a little bit about Provodnikov. He, he, he does go to the extreme in his celebrations, and it can seem a little bit like, wow, this guy is the most exciting human being. He's more excited than when Rocky, you know, fought Creed and right. just, was looking for Adrian at the end of the fight. <laughs> Adrian! Adrian! Yeah. I mean, he, he gets really, he starts wiling out. But, yeah. you know, he's he's a really good guy, and he's trained by good guys, and, and um, you know, he's dangerous. Nobody wants to fight a guy that, that, that nobody wants to fight a bulldog. Man. You can see where Provodnikov gets his, uh, his drive to fight from yeah. in, that, in that two days. I, I think if people get a chance to see it, they should. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so amazing how, how a Russian fighter, you know, like you said with the whole Klitschko thing, I mean, you know, Eastern European fighters are not, well received in the United States at all. Now he's pulled. He's pulled the uh, reverse Rocky Four syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, who knows? Maybe it's because he's tiny. Right. <laughs> he's just a little fella. Yeah. He's not a big Russian. We can deal with him. Yeah. Well. Oh well. All right. We're gonna take another break, and we will be right back with a little bit more of the tale of the tape. somber song for a somber note. <laughs> Get a little sad here at the tail of the tape. I think we're still a little hungover from the excitement of the Cotto Martinez fight from last weekend. Yeah. Oh man, that was just that sucked every ounce of energy. But we promise all five of our listeners to uh you know more energy <laughs> more energy moving forward, uh without a doubt at all. So Vince, so your prediction for 
The Provodnikov Algerie fight is a. It's, it's going to be a, a Provodnikov late TKO. Late TKO. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm gonna, I'm going to go ahead and just put a number on. It. I'm going to say Provodnikov TKO in seven. Okay. He's going to put. I a, cannot argue with that. No, he's going to he's going to come out stronger than normal because his trainers are going to say you need to fight like my other fighters and come right out the gate right. and start laying the wood. Yeah. And Freddie Roach should be in his corner for this fight, right? Yeah, Freddie will be there. I would imagine that he didn't leave New York City. He's probably been there for two weeks. So his exercise coach isn't going to be his, <laughs> right. his, his trainer for this fight? Uh, Modio will be in the corner, too, I'm sure. I, They'll both be there. Dude, I remember from my brother's first uh, kickboxing fight, um, it was like, I don't know, it was like a half hour before the fight or something like that. And he just, like, casually says to to our, you know his family and his friends that are there to watch the fight, he's like, yeah, my trainer's not coming. So he he, he contacted a trainer from another gym up the road, and he's going to be in my corner. What the hell, and man? I, I was like, what do you what do you mean that he's not in, he's not going to be here? What? Oh, he's he's got some other gig to do for his DJ business. He's oh, got Christ. he has a party that he has to DJ. And, and needless to say, my brother fought one more fight with him as his trainer. And then that was it. Yeah, of course. That was it. At least, at least. You're going to get me up to the fight and you're going to abandon me to go play some music? Yeah, so you can go play some (laughs) for everybody. No. Yeah, yeah, needless to say, I mean, Freddie Roach has great guys working for him. There's no doubt about that. I just thought it was, you know, kind of comical. The guy that they're, he's like the exercise and nutrition coach was like in the corner going, he didn't know what to say, so he just just handed him a cliff bar and (laughs) (laughs) said, go get him. <laughs> oh, man. oh, who knows? Who knows? All right, so there you have it, folks. That's going to do it for this edition of the Tale of the Tape, and we will be back next Thursday evening. Look for us on BlogTalkRadio.com. Follow me, Kenny Keith, on Twitter at SportsRantRadio, and you can follow me, Vince Cummings, at VinceCummings81 on Twitter. And be sure to read all of our work at SportsRantRadio.com. And tune in for new episodes of The Rant every Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. This is Kenny Keith for Vince Cummings, signing off from the tale of the tape.